Hello. Kirei. How are you today? Um, for those of us who look at the newsletter, I'm not less, less was meant to actually be speaking today, but uh, unfortunately he's not feeling well, so you're going to pray for him today, and, uh, and other people are not feeling today, but uh, I'm glad to, to share, uh, speaking is part of my life, so I like to speak, so... <laughs> So before we open and look at the word of God this morning, let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love for us and uh, thank you for your care that as we, l- we listen this morning. Lord, as I share your message this morning, I pray that uh, you lead us and then guide us, O oh God, that, uh, that your name you glorify this morning, Father. Lord, I want to thank you for all this that... Uh, who is not feeling well this morning, we just want to pray for your healing upon him, Father. Lord, may you encourage him, may you lift him up this morning, God, that uh, we pray for your hand of comfort this morning, Father. We continue to thank you for so many other people among us, Father. We thank you even for uh, for Ron who had a successful surgery the other day, and we continue to pray for him, Father, that the uh, Lord, as he continues to receive uh, Care, Lord, may you continue to watch over you more, God. And uh, there are many, so many other people among us that are not feeling well this morning. Father, that at home, in hospital, we continue to pray for them this morning. Lord, I pray that uh, may you bring your healing. May you speak to them this morning, Father. Thank you for your faithfulness. Even for those that are feeling hopeless this morning, those that are feeling distant away from you, lonely today, Father. I pray that may you surround them with your presence this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So thank you so much, Max, and the team for leading us uh, this morning. Uh, Thank you for sharing with us today the Word of God. And uh, for those of us who are visiting Kerang, visiting family, I can see we have a number of people visiting either family or visiting Kerang. Uh, my name is Fred, and uh, uh, my wife Nancy, and uh, my young two boys over there. I know they don't like when I mention about them every time, but boys, please forgive me, because <laughs> I appreciate you as a family as well. So thank you so much. Um, can I have something on the screen, please? Yeah, thank you. So today's message is about becoming more like Christ. Um, it's meant to be part two. I think there's an error there. Um, Please forgive me for that. It's meant to be part two. Last week we looked at part one where we talked about becoming more like Christ through his word. And we looked at John chapter one. And John talks about in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. But I like verse 14 that says that the word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. Some, by some versions like the message says he became in our neighborhood. He became part of our community. By becoming more like Christ, according to John chapter 1, he's becoming one with this word. Because there's no way you can become one like him or more like him if you're not one with this message. 
And that's why in the beginning he was with God. Because he was one with God. The message was the same. That even though he became flesh and lived among us, his message and God was one thing. And for some of us, naturally, we may not change our bodies to look like him. We may not change even our color to look like him. But his word and our message can become one and become more like him. And today, as we look at part two, my message today is to encourage us. As you say, we need to add value to people because Christ's message was about adding value to people. Even as I was preparing this message, I was, I was thinking about my own family and, and, and looking at <laughs> how what did you think you are? I've been adding value every day. I think she's costless afraid at this particular time, but uh, the value is just extremely, extremely. But I always say, you know, I value my family. Um, you know, many times they don't <laughs> draw the line when I become the father. And at times I become as a friend. Um, but as a father, you know, I tell them the truth. You know, as a friend, we have fun together. But one thing I know that those two boys over there, that if you have to touch them, you have to kill me first before you deal with them because our relationship, our love between us, you have to get rid of me to deal with them first. And I know each one of us, you value your family so much. And every day, whatever you do, it may not be in a bigger way but each day, whether it's a family, whether it's a job, you work with the people that you value each time, and you work together. So as you look at the message of John today, John chapter 9, I just want us to, to continue. This one, I did it for my friend, Mr. Lee here. Lee. <laughs> last, last Friday, I went to uh, Lee's. And Judy's place as they handed over the, the shoes to somebody else. And I looked around some of the classical, classical cars. And, and I think uh, my friend Dick was trying to explain to me the year some of those cars were produced. I think those are 1959-something Ford 1940s. But I can tell you the value on these things is costly. The value of some of those cars. But it don't happen accidentally. I looked at Lee's staff over there. And if you want to touch Mr. Lee's heart, touch some of those cars that I saw over there. I mean, this is life for him at some point, you know. It means a lot for him. But he spends time to add value on them each, each time. He's spending time to add value on these cars. This car, if I show you the original picture, it was crap 
rotten. It was something you can't even buy, even with a hundred dollars. You know those vehicles you beg the mechanic to come and take it from your home, and they tell you pay a hundred dollars for somebody to pick it from your compound. This is how some of these cars look. But then when they get them and they add value on them, they, every day they spend on them, they add value on them, they can't even sell them because they don't know how much they, they want to talk about. But I want you to think about now your life and the life of your neighbor, the life of your friend. How much can we do to spend time with them, to invest in them, to add value in their life. Things happen in life. Today, your value can be up there. Today, your image can be up there in the sky. But challenges come, storms come that can destroy that image within a second. It can take even a small, small scandal. That yesterday you walked at this place and you're called doctor so and so. And a tiny scandal can happen that can destroy the rest of your life. At that place of work. Sin can be dangerous. But it's not just sin. It can be pain. You can walk to the doctor's place. And the doctor can give you a report that can destroy your life for the rest of your journey. I want to encourage today. Let us add value to people. Let us add value to people that God has given us. Jesus in his business of adding value to our love, he said that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken hearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. This is his mission. That for those of us who've been broken, because brokenness can happen and most of us it happens. Things happen in life, whether it's pain, whether it's sickness, whether friends that let you down, things happen. But we have one person, Jesus Christ, that has the mission and the gift and the authority to bring repair to the broken heart, to bring healing to the broken spirit, and to bring recovery to the site when directed to end you to go. Friends, we can spend the rest of our life like that car that I was saying that was crap in somebody's backyard. Rubbish being thrown on you. But also you can rise up because of the one that is calling this is Christ. Rise up and become that vintage 
that classical car that you become valueless in the eyes of people. In John chapter 4, Jesus saw a woman who had lost everything in the community. A Samaritan woman at the well and added value to her life. And we let us see this community rallying behind this woman. A woman that had no friends. Even at the well, she was alone. She has given up everything in life to make it work and nothing was working for her. And the last thing you want as a woman at that particular stage is to see another man approaching you and saying, hello, can I have water to drink? Because you feel you have nothing else to offer to somebody. You know, when you've given up everything and you feel like there's nothing else you want to offer and somebody's asking you for water. Somebody's asking you to offer something. That is how this woman was feeling at the well. And for many of us, whether it's here or we have family members that are feeling that have, they've given up everything. They've released everything and they've indeed them within their life. They have nothing else to offer to anybody. But Christ is walking to them and saying, can I have some water to drink? Can I have water to drink? In John 8 again, we see the scribes and the Pharisees bringing a woman who had been caught in adultery and making her stand before all of them saying no to him. Teacher, this woman has, was caught in the very act of com committing adultery. Now in the laws of Moses, Moses commands us to stone such a woman to death. Because she has no use in the society. She has no use in the community. She has become useless. Like I said earlier, one incident can destroy your life completely. This woman is caught in an incident and probably she was the best in the community. She was one of the best people. And now she's caught in one incident that is going to destroy the rest of her life. But Jesus walks to this woman and looks at her and says... Whoever has not committed something, be the first one to throw the stone to this woman. And she adds value to this woman. She makes history. That's why in Kerrang we are reading about her today. That's why in America, that's why in Africa people are reading about this woman. Because her value has grown up from nothing to somebody. Her testimony has changed so many people, not just in Israel, but across the world. I want to encourage you today. Don't die with your story. Don't feel embarrassed to share your story with somebody. Put up your hand and share with somebody your story. Because somebody somewhere is going to listen to that story Instead of condemning you, instead of judging you, they're going to add value to your story. 
And that story can transform lives. That story can change people's lives and become even better. I was watching a young girl from Kenya the other day. Very funny, poverty-stricken family place she was coming from. And she sang a song, just a a short kind of rap music. She sang it and and put it posted on on YouTube. And somebody saw that song. That song was more like a complaint. And somebody picked that song and posted it, posted it again. And one of the senior people in Kenya saw that song and picked it up and reposted that song. That song has moved places. She has become a hero. She was called by that lady who is a senator in her country and asked her, what can I do for you? What is it that I can do for you to make your career of singing becoming greater? Just because of that one tiny song, this senator added value to this girl. Now, even for sponsors, I can't even afford this girl because she, her value has just gone up. Somebody unknown from a tiny village the slums with no title, no identity, she's become somebody because somebody added to her value. Friends, Christ is calling us to add value on people instead of judging them. Their story is for us to listen and join with them. I love the book of John. If you notice, many times I look at the book of John because John is one of those people that it tells you that if, if he was to write everything about Jesus, that it would fill, I don't know how many libraries because there's so much he talks about Jesus. And out of the many signs and miracles Jesus did during his ministry here on earth, Apostle John gives us only seven outstanding signs of miracles. And the first one is turning water into the wine in Kenya. Healing an official son in A healing of an invalid at the pool in Bethesda in Jerusalem. And this young man here, an invalid for 38 years, lying next to this pool, Nobody wanted to help him to get on the pool first. Because with that pool, you have to be in first to receive your miracle. And because he was not able to move fast, every time he wanted to get into the water, other people had already gone in and he missed out on the miracle. He felt useless. He, he felt so hopeless. And Christ walks to that man and asks him, what can I do for you? How can I help you? That is how you add value on somebody. His story, we are reading about it in Quran today.
The other kid's story there is feeding about 5,000 people walking on the water. And today I want to focus on the sixth story of healing of a blind man in Jerusalem. Even though the servants were there raising dead Lazarus in Bethany. My story today is number six. That I want us to focus today as we wish her this morning. And the story begins like this. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, or Rabbi for some people, who sinned, this man or his parents? That he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is, it is day, we must do the works of him who sent him. Night is coming when no one can work. While I, I am the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Verse 7, he says, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sand. So the man went and washed and came home seeing his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging, asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? This guy is born blind. And many of us traditionally agree with me that a lot of kids who had some of these challenges, either parents will hide them and keep them away from people. Because these kids, these babies were such a disgrace to the community. Many parents would not allow themselves to have a child that has a such a disability. Because traditionally, not just in Jerusalem, but even in Africa, a baby born with disability in many communities in Africa, it was seen to be seen in the community. People always asked, what is it that you did that you have a child who is born either blind or has some form of disability with them? And because many parents did not want to be judged, they decided to hide these children from the community. They never had a chance to go to school. They never played with other normal kids. They never shared even the table with the rest of the community. It's very sad. Continue to say, some claim that he was. Others say, no, he only looks like him. Mm -hmm. 
But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salon and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. I mean, you can read the rest of the story. And get the journey of this young man that received this transformation. But today I want us to say that we live in a world where most people believe that there is a reason behind every bad thing that happens. And that's why many people say bad things. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because people, people only question when bad things happen. What about when you win 30 million dollars? Do people question why? Why are you having a 10-bedroom home? Did, it, did you give God some money to receive that? You know? But when challenges come, when bad things happen, people start to connect. Like I said before, back in Africa, and you can see even it, in traditional Jerusalem, Israel, you know, People concluded that your parents did something in the family. Either your parents killed somebody, somebody was involved in adultery somewhere, or there's something in the family that is not right. And people will stay away from your family because of that. My guess is that this young mother went through the same, the same pain. And after carrying her baby for nine months, she was looking forward to a lovely, wonderful baby. But that did not happen. And she said she received a young boy that is blind. You may not be a parent, you may not be the one. But somehow within you can feel the pain. You can feel the disappointment of this young family. And what you are going through. I just want to imagine for a minute. That you are this lady. And most people who visit your home were very encouraging at the beginning. They are telling you like Christians we do. You know, they tell you your baby will open his eyes very soon. Don't worry. Just be patient. This young baby, things will happen. You know, we're praying for you. This young baby is going to open the eyes. And the Days went by weeks, months, years. The pain, the frustration of this young family. As I get towards the end of my message today, I want to encourage all of us. Friends, the words we speak, the words we speak can be either a blessing or a curse to somebody. If you want to be like Jesus, if you want to be like Jesus, 
We need to walk beside those that are hurting. And sometimes they don't announce. The mother of this young man was hurting. And the Pharisees and the scribes are busy saying, asking Jesus very weird questions that who sinned between these two? Is it the baby or the parents for him to be born blind? How do you even question? How do you even respond to a hurting mother with a, such a question? Which parent is looking forward to have a baby that has a disability, you know? It's not they wish to, but sometimes children are children. Things happen. And sometimes it not be with the babies. There's so many other things that happen in life with people. And as Christians, as a community, I want to encourage us that let's spend time with people before we judge them. Let's spend time with people before we get a bit of the story. Let us spend time with people before we even make conclusions. I've shared here before. But I always talk about it because I know this young man here. They are miracles. And before, when we got married, we spent quite a bit of a number of years before they came. And some people were asking us, guys, why are you pretending, you know? What's happening? Uh, you, you, feel, you feel sad, but you, 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 you're like, it's okay, God, may you forgive them because they don't understand what they're saying. And, and sometimes we point fingers at people. That what, I, what, I, what, is, what is wrong with you? Especially grandparents. You know, when, you're, when, you're, when, when your other grandparents are counting grandchild number two, grandchild number three, and no one is coming to your family, you feel a little bit the pressure as a grandparent, and you're looking at your children. You're looking at them, what is happening? Pressure. We put pressure on them instead of praying for them. We put pressure on them. We put pressure on their relationship. We put pressure on our marriage. And the next thing, the marriage is not working. Not because they chose to. Because the pressure is just too much. I met a friend of mine one day. In a counseling session, he came, a, a good friend of mine, he came and talked to me. He said, Fred, things are not working well. My wife and I have not had a baby for a while, and there's just so much pressure. My wife went to see a doctor. The doctor ticked all the boxes. She's okay. And my wife came home and told me, what about you? And he felt offended as a man. Because his wife asked him to go for checkup and find out what was the problem with him. So he told me, I don't know what to do because I don't want to go. And you know, the most humiliating for a man, if, if you ask a man to go for that, because what is happening in his mind is like, what if I went and the doctor said, I'm, I am the problem? You know, for a man, feels like now the, kind of, the, 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 the ego, the madness, it kind of disappears. So he was offended. He was angry. 
I had to chat to this guy and encourage him and tell him, you know, friends, it's not your fault. We had a talk. We talked a bit. And do you know, after about a year, they have two kids. After a year, then they had the first one. They had another child. They have two children, lovely kids. I didn't do anything. I did not change anything. I just prayed with him. But the fact that I spent time with him and so many other friends who spent time and encouraged him, it added value to their relationship. They have children. They are happy. But sometimes it may not happen. It may not happen, you know. It's about God. It's not about us. And not because we have done anything wrong. It's God's choice at that particular stage. We can't force him. If you want to become more like Jesus and add value to people, we need to walk beside them. Those that are hurting in our community. He says in verse 1 and 2 that John said that as he went along, he saw this man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, who sinned? This can be so unwise, friends. The disciples regarded this man as an, as an unsolved mystery. They showed no interest in helping this young man. The disciples were interested in discussing the cause of his condition. And that's what we do as Christians many times. We're so interested in discussing the cause of why people are not having certain things. How somebody's not having this job. How somebody's not getting healing. We are discussing about the cause. Our role is not to speculate, but to show empathy. And sometimes we don't have to say anything. You know, sometimes I listen to us as Christians when we are talking. And uh, one day when, when my dad actually died back in uh, 1989, someone told my mom that he's in a good place. Innocently, it's, it's, we make those statements every time. He's in a good place. He is in a good place. How? Tell my mom. And my mom was asking, is my house not a good place for him? Is my home not a good place for him? Because this, this lady, she's hurting. She's hurting because she's missed her best friend. She's missed somebody who's looking for her, take care of her because she was ailing. She's missed somebody she can talk to at night. And you're telling this, oh, this poor lady, your husband is in a good place. And my mom was asking, what do you mean he's in a good place? What do you mean by that? You know, so sometimes we, we make statements that can, instead of adding value to somebody's situation, you destroy that person with the statement you make. You know, it's, it's sometimes we say, and, and, and these statements are very innocent, we say people, that he's out of pain. So if him is gone, is out of pain, then how about me who is carrying the pain now? 
And you're telling this young lady or this young man that has just lost a spouse or this young person who has just lost a job or, or I mean, a child that they're out of pain. They, 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 them, they're not there, but the person has been left behind is going through pain. Yes, one person is out of pain, but the other person is feeling pain. How do we work with this person? And, and sometimes I say, let us just, you know, if, if you don't know what to say, just, just be quiet. And walk with this person. Because they're hurting. They need empathy. They need encouragement. They need support. And, and sometimes, you, 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 instead of empathizing with them, you, you, you're pouring more, more to them. Some of people cannot handle that. My message today, friends... As we add value on them, let's walk with them. You don't have to say anything. Walk with this person. Walk with this person. Don't have to say anything. You know. And sometimes we suspect that where there is more than another sufferer, there is more than another sinner. You know, the disciples believed that this so much so that they wondered if this man had sinned before he was born, causing his condition. I just quickly run there as we finish. Uh, Many people held the view that suffering was a result of sin. But however, Jesus did not dwell on this theological puzzle. Instead, he focused on helping this man by saying that neither... This man, nor his parents, sinned. I want to encourage us. Let's move away from the theological puzzles, the theological discussions. Let's focus on the person that is hurting. If somebody is going through challenges, focus on that person. If somebody has lost their job, let's focus on the person, not the situation. Not the what happened, because when we focus on what the person is going through, on the pastoral need of that person at that particular stage, we are adding value to them at that particular stage. And that's how we become more like Christ. That instead of allowing these people to stone this lady, you're standing with them. Instead of allowing this gentleman to be cast in the community as a blind sinner, born sinner, you restore them. Grab every opportunity. Jesus understood that opportunities for service and doing good don't last forever. He knew the healing. Healing this man on the Sabbath day would bring great opposition from the religious leaders who already wanted silence and kill him. Yet, his compassion for the man drove him to do it anyway. And pray that your compassion will drive you. That it may not be the right time. It may not be the right place. It may not be on the right day. But the compassion you have for this person. That you love so much. That will drive you to support them and work with them. And become more like Christ.
unto say, use what you have. You know, after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. You know, it may look a little bit awkward, but I've said that healing belongs to God. Miracles belongs to God. That the work we do sometimes, it may not necessarily be what Jesus was doing there, but I feel sometimes, our role sometimes is, is just preparing the mud. But the healing itself has its source. Healing itself has its source. If you have to prepare the mud with what we can, we can prepare. But sometimes mud can also be some of the challenges we go through. Life can be also muddy. And Christ, maybe in this scripture, he's saying, you know, it doesn't matter how many times your situation has been muddy, how many times people put mud on you that I can rise up and, and get off, get rid of it for you. The woman at the well, her life had been muddy more than five times. She gets into a relationship, doesn't work. She gets into a relationship, doesn't work. Third, fourth, fifth, it's not even working. I want to tell her there's no formula or method on adding value to people. Don't go to the bookshop and look for the book that is saying six ways to do this. You know, people who write books are very, very innovative. Six ways to how to fix your financial situation. And you're looking at that. And you read the whole book and you find there's nothing. The six ways, you're still at the same place. So Christ is saying there's no formula. Don't go and, and grab mud somewhere and start putting somebody's eyes. <laughs> there's no formula. <laughs> that was for that particular stage, you know. Probably Jesus found it's important to change his methods by healing so that one could never make a formula of the methods. The power was in God, not in a method, in a formula. I've seen some churches where priests, preachers have this white big handkerchief that they use. I'm not condemning them, but I'm saying that that's their style. But some people make it also a formula for miracles, you know. They pick this handy in their hands. Others have so many other ways of doing it. And, but I'm saying there's no formula to reach out to somebody. You don't have to be super angel to touch somebody's life because your presence alone is enough to be somebody and like I said if it just takes you to stay with that person to stand with them without saying even a single word it matters so much to Christ the lastly as I finish, point people in the right direction. Jesus told this guy, go. He told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. We are not, like I said, the miracle worker. We are not the healer. 
Yes, we carry the presence of God, but the miracle, the power of healing, the power of the miracle is with God. And, and friends, when we do our role, when you do your pastoral responsibility, when you do your part, point these people to the right place. That is what Jesus did. He said, go. Because at the end of the day, the decision they're going to make is not you who are going to make, help them make that, but the decision they're making is a personal choice. Friends, saying yes to Jesus is a personal choice. Nobody can force you to say yes to Jesus. Nobody can force you to repent. Nobody can force you to forgive. If you, if, if you have unforgiveness, I can, I can spend time with you, but I can't force you to let go. I can make you let go, but I can point you to Jesus that has forgiven us so much. I can point you to Jesus that has given up so much for us. If you're struggling with sin, I can't push it. I can't get it away from you. But I can point you to Jesus that forgives us in our challenges. I cannot take away your grief and pain. I cannot be able to restore your loss. But I can point you to Jesus. I can be able to give you his grace, his comfort, his love through your challenges. My presence in your home, my presence with you, my presence as we fellowship together is not to guarantee you any of those things, but my presence is to pray that through your journey, through the challenges you're facing, through the pain you're carrying, that Christ will be able to see you as you surrender that to him to be able to give you the healing. This young man had to make a choice to go to the river and wash himself there. Christ had the power to say, I declare healing, can you see without doing anything. And this young man would have stood up and said, I can see. But he told him, go and wash in the pool. As we add value to people today, direct them to the right place with Christ. Friends, this is not for our ministry. This is the work of Christ. Our goal should be always to point people to Jesus. Adding value to people should not be, should be to glorify God. When the work is done, Christ is glorified. And sometimes when I see some of the people that I prayed with, I glorify God. I tell God, thank you. I've not done anything. I've only visited them. I've only spent time with them, but I can see the work that you're doing in their life. I can see the healing. I can see the process now is working because the journey that you're journeying with them is doing something in their life. As I call the worship to come back on stage, I want you to stand up today. You've been sitting for a while. I want you to stand up on your feet and ask yourself, where are you in your journey of becoming more like Jesus? I want to encourage you, friends. We need to believe in people. 
I am here because somebody believed in me. That your story may not be very popular. Your story, even your own friends may not even believe your story. But that's your story. Many people did not believe this young man's story, but Jesus and his parents believed him. I don't know about you. Sometimes your story may be, embar- may be embarrassing. Your story may sound awkward. Your story may sound whatever it may sound. It may not be a story even you want to talk about. But I want to remind you as friends here, we are here to help you, to join with you, to add value to your life like Christ would have done for you. Lord, I thank you today. Because our desire, our prayer today, God, is to become like Christ. Is to become more like you, God. Because at the beginning of life in Genesis, sin destroyed our image. Sin took away the life that you've given us. Sin sent us back to the scrap metal places. We lost everything. But Christ who came and restored us back to that place, oh God. And I pray that as we journey with you, as we walk with you, Father, that may you help us to become more like you. That as we visit people, as we spend time with people, that we'll be able to speak your message. We'll carry your presence. We share your vision. We share your desire. And I pray that as we do that, that your name will be magnified. I pray that there are many people even today here that have carried pain, unforgiveness, sin, and so many other things, Father. And I pray that as you send us to the pool to wash ourselves, that we'll be able to go there and make that choice without any resistance. And today, Lord, as we leave this place, that I pray that God may open our hearts, O oh God, to see, to understand, O oh God, where you want us to be, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus.